was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughters of Zion, behold, the king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a coat, a foal of a donkey. Father, we thank you and we bless you again. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. This is Palm Sunday, and um, the Lord uh, directed me to not deviate from the significance of what this Sunday represents, even though we're not able to assemble in one place. And as I thought about uh, this particular passage in the gospel, I was reminded of a commercial that I really enjoy, and some of you probably have seen it. It's an all-state commercial. And in this commercial, Tammy Faye, she's driving her car, and a male actor who's pretending to be a St. Bernard puppy, 70 pounds, uh, begins to try to distract her while she is driving. And he starts licking her shoulder, licking her in the face, and, and she just uh, kind of pushes his uh, pushes the, the puppy away, and he keeps on trying to get her attention, and then she says, I'm not going to be distracted, and, and, and who's the dummy now? And she says, because she wasn't distracted and kept her focus and kept her mileage down, kept her speed down, that 40% of the price that she would have otherwise had to pay would be discounted from all states. And then the dog says, be like Tammy Faye, and don't be distracted by the mayhem that I and other things can cause when you're driving. Now, for Tammy Faye, the prize that she focused on, what held her attention was the 40% discount that she was going to receive by not allowing anything to take her eyes off of the road. But as believers, our focus should not be on temporal prizes. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25. He says, do you not know that a race, that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The prize that we are focusing on as believers shouldn't be temporal. It's a crown, Paul says, that lasts forever. And for the believer during these challenging times when you could be distracted, when you could be overwhelmed by fear and discouragement and stress and anxiety with the loss of jobs and the uncertainty of the future, and also the very presence of the death angel who is stopping by houses and hospitals, villages and palaces uninvited, that our focus needs to be on the author and the finisher 
of our faith. The word of God says, looking unto Jesus, who is the one who has completed the course before us. And when our focus is on him, we will find ourselves able to rise above the conflict that we are currently experiencing today. Now, as we travel back 2,000 years ago, on the first Palm Sunday, Jesus the King, who came riding into Jerusalem on an unbroken donkey, as palms were spread on the ground, we are going to discover that what occurs on the first Palm Sunday is more than a cute story for children in their Sunday school class. It is one of the most significant occurrences in the entire Bible. In fact, the account that is recorded about the triumphant entry of Christ into Jerusalem riding on an unbroken donkey is so significant that it occurs in all four of the Gospels. And whenever God repeats himself, it's not because he's trying to get style points, that he has run out of words, but it's a flashing red light to tell us that something transcendent, something transformational, something that is earth-shattering for the believer is, has occurred and he intends for it to impact our life. The triumphant entry of Christ into Jerusalem, uh, 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 it reviews at least two major purposes. And stay with me, we're going somewhere. Uh, the first thing it reveals that Jesus was coming into the world as the promise that Jesus, first of all, that Jesus had an assignment and that he was not going to be distracted from that assignment. And because Jesus remained focused on the assignment, he focused on what he needed to do so that now, having accomplished what was necessary, when he made his way towards Jerusalem during the week of Passion, as he was counting down to Calvary, we can now focus on him because Jesus accomplished the assignment for which he was sent. Now, what Jesus focused on that we no longer have to focus on is at least two things that I want to mention as it relates to the triumphant entry. It was all a part of God's divine plan for Christ to accomplish what was necessary for Jesus to become the substitute for our sin. Jesus, he, he came that he might accomplish what I'm, going to, what I'm going to share right now. First of all, Jesus came. There are two things that I want to concentrate on. And there are many things that were part of the assignment of Christ, but there are two things that I want to emphasize. And the first is that Jesus focused on fulfilling all the righteous requirements of the law. He, he came to fulfill 
all the righteous requirements of the law. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 15, we have the baptismal scene. Jesus is getting ready to be baptized. Before Jesus arrives at the Jordan, he's approaching John the Baptist, and uh, uh, he, he, he says to the crowd, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as Jesus is approaching, Jesus request of John that he be baptized. John says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should baptize me. And the reason that was true is because Jesus was sinless. But Jesus' response to John was, Jesus replied and says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And the scripture says that John the Baptist consented. The righteousness that Jesus, who never sinned, came to complete was on your behalf and mine. Jesus came to give us something we absolutely needed but could never get on our own. He came to make us right with God. Jesus said, I've come to fulfill all righteousness according to the law. Ever since Adam fell in the garden, he disobeyed God. Romans chapter 5 tells us that all of us in Adam, we have died. Since Adam's death, that is spiritual separation from God, we are born separated from God. Mankind has been trying to reconnect, to reconcile, to make himself right with God. And so what God established, he established animal sacrifices. They failed to make us right with God. God sent the priests. The priests had problems because they were sinners just like us. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. God provided the prophets, and he provided godly politicians like King David and Jehoshaphat and others, even godly men and women, and all of their efforts because like Adam, or because we are in Adam, we were born with a sin nature which made it impossible for us to ever do anything that was worthy to cause God to accept us. In fact, the Bible says all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. So the best that we can do, God says it's like a polluted cloth. It's not worthy of allowing me to, uh, to allow you to have a relationship with Christ. And so Christ, what Adam failed to do when he disobeyed God in the garden and with all the other systems that God put in place were unable to accomplish. Jesus was now saying when he said, I'm suffering it to be so. I'm coming to fulfill the perfect requirements of the law, which is obedience without sin. Jesus was saying before he was baptized, he's saying, I'm stepping in the ring on behalf of all who have sinned so that I can once and for all accomplish what no other man has done. The Bible actually puts it this way. He says, for we have not a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our struggles, with our infirmities. But Jesus, like to us, he was tempted in all points, but without sin. And so while Adam sinned, the priesthood fell, the animal cycles fell, Jesus, I'm stepping in the ring on behalf of all of those who have been trying to be right with God, trying to get justified in such a way that now we're no longer enemies to God, but we're at peace with God. Jesus steps into the ring, and the Bible says that because Jesus stepped in the ring and he, he perfectly obeyed every requirement of the law, James chapter 2, verse 10 says, 
If you, if you violate the commandments, in one, if you violate one commandment, you're guilty of breaking all of them. The commandments are like a chain. If you break one link in the chain, the chain is broke. Unlike all of the others that have come before Jesus, Jesus never broke a link in the chain. He lived a sinless, perfect life. And the Bible says in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, chapter 5, verse 21, he that knew no sin... God made him to become sin for us that through him we now become the righteousness of God, that we have the righteousness of God. What we previously couldn't get on our own, what kept us from being able to ever have a harmonious relationship with God, that issue has been settled once and for all. And so a part of that process involved Jesus going into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, and the palms that were placed under the, uh, under, under the donkey's feet as he, rode, as he rode through the city streets was all aspects of what would ultimately lead him to the final countdown, the final challenge where he would die on the cross. He that knew no sin became sin for us. What actually happens when Jesus fulfills all, all the righteous requirements of the law, he lived a sinless, perfect life, it's actually a legal trans, uh, a transaction. Two things came to our benefit because of what Jesus accomplished and what we couldn't have done for ourselves. He, has, he, in, he gives us what is called impartation. Impartation, the moment I trust Christ, we experience the impartation of the Holy Spirit, which gives us the capability and the ability for the first time to obey God. Impartation allows me, it enables me to obey God. Prior to salvation, the Bible says we can do nothing in our flesh that please God. The best that we could do was unacceptable to God. But when you trust Jesus, the impartation, impartational work of the Holy Spirit, now I have the ability to do what is good and pleasing to God. And the reason I can do what is good and pleasing to God is not because of the good deeds I do, because a, a righteousness is not something that we get on our own, but it's something that God gives us through the person of Christ. What God does through impartation, he gives us the ability, but through imputation, God credits to our account that which we didn't have. What God does, here's, the, here's what actually happens through what Jesus accomplished when he lived the sinless, perfect life en route to Calvary and then ultimately being able to say as he hung from the cross, it is finished, it is finished, it is finished. And he could say to his spirit, I commend you to go back to the Father because he accomplished all of the requirements to fulfill the law. What God does in the act of Christ taking our place, he imputes righteousness. He makes it possible for us to be just. He makes it possible for us to have a, a, a personal relationship with him. What that means is that he, take, he takes your sin and my sin and he credits, credits our sins, past, present, and future, to Jesus' account. When Christ was hanging on the cross, God, he was carrying he was, he had, we had, dep God deposited on Jesus every sin that every person would ever commit. And when he arose from the dead, the, the, the second aspect of what the death of Christ accomplished is not only did God credit our sin to Jesus' account, but then Jesus took what he accomplished and paid for, and he credits to our empty spiritually bankrupt account 
his righteousness. So now when God looks at us through the blood of Christ, because what has been accredited to us, what has been imputed to us, what we, who we are in Christ, our position in Christ, is that we are righteous. And because we are righteous, we do what, is, we do what impartation allows us to do. We do that which is good and pleasing to God. But now I have a perfect standing in God through Christ because God, I'm, I, God looks at me through Jesus as if I've never sinned. I've been made right with God. Another word for it is I've been justified. And so Jesus came to fulfill all the requirements of the law, which allows us to have the imputation of the work of the Holy Spirit, where I am now in the presence of God, in the mind of God, I'm righteous. And I have impartation. I can do that which is right because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. A second reason Jesus came is in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus came to confirm that the promises of God's word are true because his word is true. Every promise that God made, one of the things that is going on through this COVID-19, it's challenging us to believe and to compare the word of God with what is really happening. And I'm finding that the strength that I need more than ever before, the reality of the truth of the word of God, which is living and powerful and sharpening to edged sword, it is coming to my aid. It is giving me what I need to respond as we hear the reports that are coming every day about how many people are dying, how many people are being infected. You better know this word. You better hide this word in your heart. You better know this word in such a way that Paul says, be a student of the word that you may be, be studied to show yourself approved, that you may be diligent, rightly, uh, uh, rightly cutting straight the word of God. You need to have this word in your heart. Jesus also came to confirm the promises of God are true and the word can be trusted in, verse, uh, in chapter uh, 5, verse 7, he says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. No, I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, not to abolish the truth of the word. He fulfills all righteousness by his obedience, and then he, uh, he accomplishes the law in terms of completing it by confirming through his life that what the scriptures predicted about Jesus is accurate because the word of God can be trusted because it's true. And, and one of the things that the word of God says in Matthew chapter 21 is that 500 years prior to what Jesus does when he comes into the city of Jerusalem uh, mounted on this donkey, it was predicted by the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 9 that the servant who is Messiah would actually come into Jerusalem and be worshipped as the king that was promised. And so when Jesus came and he was riding the donkey, it wasn't just something good to do. It wasn't just a religious act. It was in fulfillment of the word. He was fulfilling the prophet's promises regarding the Messiah. And so when Christ comes in and the way the response of the people is an acknowledgement that Jesus is... It's who God says he is. He is the Messiah. He is the deliverer. He is the Savior. But he's also the one, as he's fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus is also the king that is going to reign over the world forever. 
And so Jesus came to fulfill the, the prophet, promises of the prophets. And his presence on that donkey was another fulfillment of that. And if he hadn't done that, if he had broken one aspect of the law, he would have fallen short of being able to fulfill the righteous requirements of law because that would have been sin. But he obeyed even to the last detail. And, if, and, and so Jesus, this is why, this is the two reasons he came. He came to fulfill the promises of the prophecies concerning him as Messiah and ultimate king. That's why he was riding upon the donkey, and he also came to fulfill the law. That's why Jesus came. Now, in re so what he accomplished allows us now to look unto him who is the author and finisher of our faith. What was needed was done, and therefore we can know how to respond in kind. Now, how should we keep our eyes on the prize during these difficult times? People are losing their jobs. People are getting sick that we love. When uh, you drive and no one's on the street and uh, you go to the grocery store and the shelves are empty, how do we keep our focus on him who fulfilled the law by perfect obedience, therefore he is who he said he is, and who also proved that the prophecies in the scriptures are true because the word of God is true. Let me share some things, five specific things that we can do, and I'm going to talk about why, why we can focus on Christ, why we can keep our, 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 our attention narrowed, keep our minds steadied to continue to walk in perfect peace. First of all, here's how I'm going to focus on Christ during this time. In order to do that, you need to stay close to Christ. The Bible says that the disciples that Jesus had just told in, John, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 17 through 20, he said, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. They're going to, they're going to execute me. They're going to mistreat me. They're going to falsely accuse me. And they knew he was going to die. But even in spite of that, they followed Jesus to Jerusalem. They kept close to him. The disciples followed Jesus. One of the ways to focus on the Lord during these difficult times, you need to stay close. You need to stay close. And there's a good reason why we need to stay close to Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse, in verse 5, he said, I am the vine. You are the branches, and apart from me, you can do nothing. We have no strength of our own. We have no ultimate answers of our own. That's what we're learning through the doctors and, the, and, and, every, and all of the, econom the uh, economists. Everybody is scrambling and trying to figure this out. Apart from me, Jesus said, anything of eternal value you can't do. But with me, he says, but if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will according to God's will, and he said, it will be done. And so staying close to Christ means that I am going to stay close to him through his word. I am going to saturate my mind with the word of God. I'm going to meditate on the scriptures. I'm going to recite the word of God. And so Christ says, abide in me, abide in my words, and you'll be at the same time abiding in me. And so the way to stay close to the Lord, the way to stay focused on the Lord is to abide in the word. Stay close. You should stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Not only should you stay close to Jesus, but you ought to obey his word. When he told the disciples, he said, look, I want you to go to Bethpage. And in, in, in the city of Bethpage, there's going to be a donkey in a coat, an unbroken coat uh, with his mother. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to 
tell the owner that the, that the Lord has need. Now, they didn't know this guy from a can of paint. And Jesus had just said, when we, go to, when we get to where we're going, we're gonna, it's going to be, a, it's going to be a, 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 a terrible experience. I'm going to lose my life. And so it, it obviously would pass their minds. If Jesus is going to be harmed, we could too. But they risked their lives to follow Jesus. And then when Jesus gave the command to go and purchase the donkey, they obeyed. I want you to understand something. While you are, we are going through these trying times, the word of God may not make sense to you. It, it may not, your feelings are saying, be fearful, be terrified, uh, 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 go buy you the biggest gun you can find, and uh, uh, see if you could uh, uh, get the next trip to the moon. And, and, but I hear the word of God says, we walk by faith and not by sight. I hear the word of God saying, Jesus speaking, I have overcome the world, and in me you will overcome. And so we want to be obedient as a little child. Whatever the Lord has revealed in his word as a command to us, commit yourself to be obedient. Don't hesitate. Respond immediately in the Holy Spirit. So you need to obey the word of God to focus on Jesus. You also need to continue to give the Lord your best. Even though we're, we're in different places, uh, we can't worship as we normally do. I'm so blessed by how the church continues to sacrificially give so that this work can continue to strive and continue to uh, a, 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 a be a, a beacon light of the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, when they purchased the donkey, before they gave it to Jesus to ride, the Bible says that the two disciples that, that did what Jesus told them to do, they took off their own coats and they placed their coats on the back of the donkey so that the Lord would not have to sit directly on the donkey's back. They gave the Lord their best. They made a sacrifice. I want you to un understand that the church has always thrived through persecution through difficult times. There's never a time in the history of the church, of the early church, where they, weren't, where they were un, not being persecuted and, and attacked. And, and they didn't have to totally depend on the Lord. And I believe that God is allowing the church to go through the fire right now to show us that he is going, that not only is he a present help in the time of trouble, but that he is going to cause us to not only be overcomers, but we're going to be those who have the greatest impact on the world going, coming out of this situation. And so we want to, even in this, we want to give the Lord our best. The way that we can give the Lord our best is by giving him our tithes and our offerings, but we can also give the Lord our best by being concerned for others. The scripture says, but put the interests of others above our own. Even in the time of difficulty, we need to be concerned about the least of them. Jesus said, when you are concerned about the least of these, you're showing concern for me. And so we should stay close to him by being in the word. We should obey him by doing what he says. We should give the Lord our best, but we should also praise him. The Bible says, as Jesus made his way through, the Jeru through Jerusalem on the donkey, the crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of God, to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the, in the highest heavens. The people praised the Lord. They didn't care what anybody thought. They didn't care who was looking at them. 
And the fact they got so loud and indignant with their praise and acknowledgement, when they said Hosanna, the word, the Greek word for Hosanna means save, help us, we are in trouble. That's what the Lord is trying to get us to a place where we're so desperate about what's going on that we're not depending on Dr. Fucci or, or, or some other scientist. Praise the Lord, pray for them, and hopefully there's going to be some kind of solution to this COVID-19 uh, 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 challenge. But more than anything, we want to be turning to the Lord. and just, he's, Hosanna, help us, save us, we need you. Now, of course, in the mind of the Jews, they weren't thinking of Jesus as saving them for, from their sins. They were thinking about a political deliverer. But well, we understand that not only do we need Christ to, to help us as we are brought into the kingdom of God through salvation, we need deliverance right now. We need him to intervene in our situation. And so we need to be crying out, Hosanna! to the son of David. They were acknowledging that not only is Jesus the son of David, the promised Messiah, the one who was promised way back in Genesis chapter, 15, chapter 3, verse 15, that would come, but they were acknowledging that Jesus is the rightful heir to the throne of David, which the Lord said, I will establish the kingdom of David forever. And so they were saying, you are the son of, you are, you are the rightful heir of David, and you are the anointed one. You have come from God. That's what they were praising in the public, they were praising Jesus for who he is. And the interesting thing is that they got so loud and, and, and so out of control that the Bible says that people throughout the city heard them and they began to ask, who is this? Why are they praising and why are they giving lively witness and why are they giving this kind of recognition? Why are they putting palms? Why are they acknowledging this? The palms were an indication that the person on the donkey was royalty. It was an indication that the person who was royalty was coming during the time of peace because the person mounting the donkey was the peacemaker. And so they say, who is this? What is going on? I wonder right now if you wouldn't mind giving the Lord some praise, so much praise that people recognize recognize that God is at work. And they, they, they begin to ask, who is this? And why are they celebrating? I mean, people are dying. We don't know when this is going to end. And we don't have an answer. And we may not have a job tomorrow. And in the midst of the battle, the Bible says, we ain't waiting until the battle's over. We're going to shout now. Shout in such a way that people recognize that it's the Lord who is still in charge. If the Dallas Cowboys and the Eagles were playing and the, and, and the Eagles were whooping up on the Cowboys, we'd be jumping around, we'd be making noise, knocking things over, just like we would if the, if the Cowboys were getting the best of the Eagles. We'd be, people punch holes in TVs, they start throwing animals around, and, and our neighbors start wondering if they need to call the police. I wonder if you've ever had a praise celebration in such a way that your neighbors begin to figure, begin to worry, something wrong over there. Maybe I need to check on them. And when they check on you as you're giving the Lord praise, as you're giving him lively witness, you can tell them as they did, this is the prophet from Nazareth. You can give a proclamation of the Lord. That's another way that we can focus on him. We need to be telling people during this virus that Jesus reigns, that there's no salvation in any other name given unto men whereby we must be saved. They proclaimed. I wonder if you would just give him some praise, you find that the fear would be lifted, that the fear that you've been encountering would be lifted. I wonder if you decided right now, just say, thank you, Lord, not for what you're doing, but until I, I don't, I'm not even 
clear on what's happening around me. I'm confused and I'm perplexed. This has never been something that I've ever encountered before. But what I do understand is that you've never failed. You've always brought me through a storm. Even when I didn't see my way out, what I was able to see that the God who allowed the storm was able to speak peace. You ought to praise him right now. And when people begin to ask you about your praise, proclaim his name. Witness for him. They witness for him in verse 11. Now, let me share as we close why you ought to focus on him during the corona, COVID-19 pandemic. Let me give you four things that I believe will be life-changing. First of all, you need to focus on him and not the circumstances as they're changing so fluently and unpredictably. Focus on him because he completes us. The Bible says you, we are complete in Jesus. He is the head of all things, all principalities. Jesus is the head of all. He completes you. He completes me. In Jesus, I find my purpose my meaning, my satisfaction. I find unconditional acceptance in him, love. I have access to God through him. I am complete in him. Everything that I need to know and to be calm in the storm, I will find it in the source, and it is Jesus. If I could just see Jesus, if I could just get to the hem of his garment, if I could just get to his presence, I want you to know he's not physically present right now, but I can see Jesus by the eyes of faith that he is the one who completes me. He is the one who has my future in his hand. He is the one that will make certain that everything that God has for me, I'll have it. Not only does he complete me in him, we are complete and we're hidden in him. He is our comfort. He comforts us. Jesus puts it like this. He says, Come to me, all you that are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Take my yoke upon you. Jesus will comfort you. He'll be your pillow. He'll be your company. He'll be that quiet voice in the middle of your storm. I want you to understand that he is a present help in the time of your need. He, he says, if you take my yoke, if you allow me to carry the heavy load, the weighted side, I will give you, in exchange, I will give you rest for your stress. The reason why we want to focus on Jesus is because he comforts us. But not only does he comfort us and completes us, Jesus conquered death and the grave. The Bible says the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has the keys of life and death. And some of the worst thing, you know, nobody don't want to die of corona and everybody's who has it. I don't know. But what I do know that the person in control of life and death, yeah, I know about the ventilators. I know about finding and paying attention to the sign. But ultimately, the one who says, the one who says return or remain is the Lord Jesus Christ. He conquered the grave. The Bible says, don't fear them who can destroy your body, but rather fear him that is able to destroy both body and soul. This is a real challenge of what we believe. Are we more fearful of the temporal? Or do we have total confidence that whatever the outcome is, we don't lose. We don't lose. 
Because when we leave this temporary place, we enter into eternity to be in the presence of the Lord with his joy and peace forevermore. Now, we're not trying to rush, the, rush uh, our way to heaven because there's still work to be done. But ultimately, we can look death in the face and say, Jesus has the keys. We can look death in the face and say, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. He's already conquered death in the grave. And finally, we, need to, we can focus. This is the reason why we need to focus on Christ. He controls every detail of my life. Paul put it this way in Acts chapter 17, verse 28. He says, for we live, move, and exist because of him. For in him all things were created, things in heaven on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things are held together. He controls every detail of your life, every detail of my life, every tear that's being shed. The Lord doesn't, it doesn't go to escape his notice. Every hair that falls from our head, it doesn't escape his notice. He is in charge. He is yet seated on the throne. And what God is trying to say is our attention has been distracted from his voice. And he simply wants us to turn our attention from all of these distractions, all these things that we have placed our trust in, these things that have become idols and substitutes for him, these things that have dominated our time. God said, I'm shutting it all down. I'm going to put you in a position where, where, where things get so bad that the only thing you're going to know to do is to look up. But when I look up, the Bible says, David speaking, I am going to lift up my eyes unto the hills because my help comes from the Lord. The Lord is in control of everything. The Lord has conquered death. The Lord comforts us in our stress. He completes us. But we need to stay close through his word. Some time ago, <clears throat> I was driving uh, my daughter, Kenita, to, be, to get a pair of uh, sneakers. And we must have stopped at five different places to get those certain sneakers. And every time we went to the store, the store had either, they either sold out or uh, they didn't have the brand for one reason or another. And so I'm already exhausted, but I agree to go to one last store. And as we're going, I'm looking and driving, and I notice a young boy, someone actually, an adult, hits the kid so hard that he, he actually leaves his feet and goes up against the gate. And I'm so concerned for the kid, I totally turn my attention off to the driving, and I'm looking at the kid, and when I finally look back, there was a truck in front of me that had stopped suddenly, and I ran directly into the back of the truck, basically destroying my car. And now, when I think back about it, it wasn't wrong to be concerned about what was going on outside of the car. And the young boy might have been in trouble, might have been in danger. But my primary focus was to keep my eyes on the road. 
Because by taking my eyes off of the road, I not only endangered my daughter's life, but my own life and and, and ended up wrecking my car. What's going to happen if we take our eyes off of Jesus, if we don't look unto him, if we don't trust him in the middle of the storm? He's still on the ship. I wonder if you waken him. I wonder if you've gotten desperate enough to say, Jesus, will you calm this storm? And the storm may not be the taking away of the coronavirus. It may simply be to calm your storm, your thundering, your lightning, your dismay. When you cry out to him, your focus will be on the road. Your focus will be exactly where it ought to be. And you will find yourself comforted in him. Focus on him. He has completed all the requirements of the righteousness of the law. He has also fulfilled the promises and the prophecies concerning him as Messiah. And because of what he focused on, we can now focus entirely on him. Turn your attention to Jesus and you will find peace that passes all understanding. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we bless you today. Because we don't have to be distracted. We want to be aware. God, we want to be informed. We want to be proactive. We want to exercise every caution. But God, as we are making these decisions and taking these steps, it is always through the lenses of what would Jesus do. And so God, as we're looking at him, who looked beyond the cross and he saw our need. Because he remained focused, we now have access to you. God, as we remain focused, we're going to find ourselves rising above the storm in such a way that we can speak light into darkness. And we will find a nation, a neighborhood, our families, not only talking about God, but turning to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. 